Hi, this is Mary, and welcome to my podcast, Mental State, where I dive into all things mental health and more. So today on my show, I have my friend Jacqueline, and Jacqueline and I love talking about attachment style, especially when it comes to dating and relationships. Right, Jacqueline? Speaking of relationships, a relationship that means so much to so many of us is the relationship we have with our pets. And my pet of 17 years died this past year, a couple months ago, somewhat suddenly, but I had some chance, some time to process the experience before it happened. And a topic Mary and I have discussed that really doesn't get enough attention is our attachment to our pets and how our pets affect us, affect our attachment style, and how they're, the loss of these, these angels, I believe angels in our lives, affect us. I mean, so I have this really cute dog at Chewy Doodle Dog, if you want to follow him on Instagram. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> he is very cute. He is very cute. And I think that with this, I also have a cat who sometimes appears in the Instagram account. I had a, I had a couple of dogs when I was a kid, but I've never had a dog as an adult. And so having this dog has really taught me a lot about secure attachment styles. And in general, you know, we do form these emotional attachments with our pets. And these attachments are very special and very different than the attachments that we form from human connection. It, it really is. And I think the number one factor in how it is different is the unconditional love we experience for our pets and what we experience from them, right? They remind us of joy in our lives and can increase human connection, right? If you have a dog, for example, they, cats, they're purr, right? It's a certain, I think, a, sec, a certain uh, decibel that actually decreases anxiety. And and also like, you know, the feeling of a cat laying on your chest. Mm-hmm. For those of you, of you who have cats, that feeling of the purr can can also, that vibration, right, can also help decrease anxiety. And I think that too is that what's really significant about pets is that if you don't really feel like going out into the world or even if you're physically or psychologically removed from any kind of human attachments, these attributes of a relationship with a pet can be really significant. Just like what Jacqueline was saying, the unconditional love, the support, the the comfort, the safety, the stability, all of these beautiful things that make up secure attachment. Remember, one of the number one things that makes up secure attachment is, right, our ability to feel safe within connection. And if we didn't grow up with that, our pets can mean even more than, for example, if we we have a fair amount of that in our lives. And the reason I state that is because, again, it's something that can be when we experience the loss of a pet, it can be marginalized and dismissed by others. Oh, cheer up. You can You can get a new one. I've heard that one before. <laughs> and the same, actually, I have to say, these same phrases or, or ways that people handle loss don't just apply to pet loss. It also can apply to loss of, of others in our lives, you know, very much cheer up, get over it, right? And we know that's not true. So 
Today, Mary and I want to give you guys tools to understand how we can use these relationships with our pets in order to build more secure attachment within ourselves, like allow the relationship to elevate our souls, as well as navigate when we experience the inevitable death, how we can respond to it versus get more triggered from that insecurely attached side of us because loss is a trauma and it will affect us. Yeah, it is a trauma. And I just wanted to circle back to what Jacqueline was saying about how people can really minimize the experience of a loss of a pet. And I think that minimization, or is that a word? Minimalizing of the loss of the pet can also start to trigger other traumas, right? That might bring us back into our more insecure attachment styles because these are things that we may have experienced in the past, either with our primary caregivers or in some sort of social situation where our experiences were minimized. And so when this is happening with a death of a pet, it can really leave you feeling isolated and lacking important societal support. So let's rewind for a second. We just spoke about how we started off this conversation of like looking at all these ways that our pets can bring us into a more securely attached style, right? How we can kind of consciously use the relationship to help us grow, to help us understand ourselves, even watching how our pet navigates the world, right? Many of us have such deep acceptance and love for our our pet's quirks or behavioral issues, yet we don't carry that same tolerance for humans. Yet it's so clear within a pet, right? Like, oh, they have this trauma and this is the way they react and isn't that adorable. Can we turn that around and have that compassion towards ourselves, right? It does start within. Yeah. And I really love how you bring that piece of, you know, we are so much more accepting of pets' behaviors than human behaviors. And I love kind of like looking at the pet too as the curious observer. I know that, for instance, you know, my dog has led me to having a lot more connection with people in my community, just seeing other people walking their dogs or people wanting to interact with my dog. I also get a lot of joy just kind of like watching my dog sniff around and and getting curious. I've been really affected by his curiosity because I feel like it's made me a more curious person as well. You know, when I think of my cat, Millie, rest in peace, little one, she's here. I put her ashes right in front of us for, for for this episode so she can guide us from the other side. And, and we'll get to all that. But Millie used to be a wonderful kind of critic of which people in my life were kind of toxic or not necessarily healthy for me and which were good for me. And she always had that spidey sense. My anxious part of myself, right, that anxiously attached side would ignore that intuition sometimes. And I would look back and I'd be like, Millie always knew, you know. So again, using our pets to increase the secure attachment and really learn from them can be inherently useful. And there are some pitfalls here. Well, I just kind of want to speak to what you were talking about with your cat, because I actually met Jacqueline's cat several months before her passing. And when I met her cat, Jacqueline was like, oh, my cat doesn't really like everyone. And her cat like went up to me, was rubbing up against me. And for somebody who I feel like I've developed a more secure attachment style and also, you know, there's some anxiety there. 
it really made me feel good about myself that you said that. And I was like, oh, that feels really nice that your cat likes me. It just sort of like spoke to that little anxious part of me that, you know, it wasn't, I didn't know it was necessarily there, but just really loved the validation. So thank you, Millie. Oh, my sweet Millie. You know, one thing that you can do to support friends, you know, who are experiencing loss is is sharing stories with them about your experience with their pets. Like Mary, you sharing that right now brought me so much joy. And that's, you know, one of the mistakes is people are oftentimes afraid to mention the loss. And again, this is the same with the loss of humans is mention it, share stories with that person. That makes that makes us feel connected and good. So we don't want to run from that. But going back to our relationship in the material world with our pets as living creatures, I think there are some pitfalls in we can also use our pets to avoid ourselves. We can use them to avoid taking care of ourselves, right? Making the life all about the animal versus an integration with life, right? So we do have to watch out for that. Yeah, I mean, it's the same thing as that we can also use our pets to avoid others, right? To, oh, I can't go out because, oh, I have to take care of my animal. So I think that, you know, having a pet, if you if you run avoidant, that can actually really support, right, those avoided behaviors. Yeah, it can be a, a great way to avoid feelings or project your anxieties onto your creature, right? You're you're, I remember actually, Millie, she was always, she was a very well-behaved, I was going to call her a child. She was my fur child. She was a very well-behaved kitty. And whenever she would have like issues going to the bathroom or whatever, it was actually, I always tracked it back to, I would have some unexpressed anxiety that I wouldn't process in a healthy way. And she'd pick it up and experience, right? So again, we want to use our pets for mirrors of understanding what's happening within us. And that's the same with children, actually, right? They're expressing symptoms of, they're the symptoms of the problem. They are not the problem. It lies more in the root ourselves as the caregivers. And I think speaking of caregivers, I mean, a lot of times with pets, they they seem to always know when we're not feeling well. So I noticed that, you know, if I'm not feeling well, even when when I got COVID, you know, my dog just always wanted to be around me, was checking up on me, making sure that I was okay. And when we talk about going back into building this kind of secure attachment, if you grew up in a household where your caregivers were ignoring you, it can feel, or, you know, especially in the times when you were sick, it can feel really nice to have a pet around that's going to pay attention to you in these ways that you may not have got growing up. So we want to use that. We don't want to get rid of those things. And we want to use them as reparative experiences or be conscious that they are reparative experiences. They're, they're joyful experiences. They bring us much love and enrich our lives. And also, we don't want to stick a Band-Aid on the, on, on the problem, right? So if you grew up in an environment like that, you still need to work on that side of yourself that may need to experience what emotions came along with behavior like that, right? Or or process your trauma, grieve the experience. Traumas are losses, right? It's a loss in the sense of understanding the world as we know it, as well as if we experience loss of a pet, that is a trauma, right? Twofold. 
Well, it's a trauma that can also bring up other unprocessed traumas. So I think that, you know, I've lost pets. You lost a pet. And it it can be it can be very, very hard. Very it's so hard to move through. And we don't like to say we move on or we move or we're moving forward from because I feel like I carry my pets with me on some level. You know, their memories are still there. But I think that, you know, kind of really getting, really starting to get curious, like if, you know, if we're talking about a loss of a pet and the the grieving process is, is lasting a very prolonged period of time, we call this like prolonged bereavement, to kind of get an understanding about, you know, is there something that's happening in this loss of a pet? that parallels other circumstances in your life that have also been unprocessed. So here's the thing. Death is inevitable for every one of us. It's inevitable for those around us. And that might sound bleak, but it's the truth. We cannot run from our uncomfortable feelings around loss because of past traumas or because we're too scared to deal with that, right? We've got to learn to accept and navigate how we're going to allow the relationship to transform. I always say, okay, the the being might die, but the relationship doesn't die. The relationship's still alive. So we have to allow it to transform. And if you have a propensity towards anxiety, what happens when the brain experiences loss, it becomes primed and reprimed and reprimed to continuously experience that, that loss, that distance over and over and over again. And so what happens is we end up navigating life through a survival response. Perhaps you develop heavy anxiety or your life becomes taken over by, quote unquote, being, this is, I don't agree with this completely, but unable, quote unquote, to move on. And it's not about that per se, but if you notice an inability after a certain amount of time to integrate the experience, and we're going to get to how to do that, of the loss and allow the, the relationship to transform, you're really going to have to look at what are you pushing down? And we're going to have to dig in so that you can have a more balanced, a softer, gentler life, right? Because we want to use all these experiences to, again, enrich ourselves, grow, have more fulfillment, not have them take us under when we experience yeah. And I also want to kind of normalize the grieving process. So when I w- when we were talking about this episode about having a relationship with a pet and the loss of a pet and and all of those things that it brings up, you know, I was doing some research about it and one study that I looked at was saying that the most acute period for grief lasts from one to two months, but over a third of individuals experience grief symptoms at six months and as many as 22.4%, which is about you know a quarter of people, are still experiencing grief a year after the loss. And the grief can include crying, guilt, depression, pain, anger, a sense of loneliness, and a preoccupation with the memories. For those of you who run avoidant, it's, it's tricky because the avoidant side of ourselves is not going to regis- register distress in the same way. So maybe it's, oh, that, 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 you know, I experienced the loss of my pet. I'm done. I'm moved on. Glad they're not around. 
if you process things or <laughs> respond to life in that way, what happens is the suppression builds up over time. And then probably experiencing some lashing out, some breakage of relationships. And that's really because you're not dealing with the loss, right? So grief is not, you know, I always say, I work with a lot of clients experiencing loss. And I always say it's, it's not for the faint of heart. Like nobody wants to go through the grieving experience, yet none of us can get away from it. And if we allow ourselves to grieve, and allow ourselves to have the relationship transform, the silver lining is we can transform. We can see life in a different way. We can understand life in a deeper way. And so like one, one of the things I think, I think we should talk about a few tools around how to grieve. Mm -hmm. And so, you know how I mentioned here, Millie, I have her ashes and I haven't quite decided what to do with them yet. She's here on the table with me and I have a little, I have a little, space in my house that I always I, I tend to put flesh, fresh flowers on. I have a, a picture of her in my bathroom and uh, I speak to her. I tell her that I miss her. I ask her sometimes for her advice. I believe our pets can be guides for us from the other side. Now, the messages might not come through quite in the language that we think they should, but they can be guides for us if we let them. So again, allowing the relationship to kind of transform into something different. And I think that can be so healing. And people also use other sources of healers to communicate with their pets on the other side. You know, people use mediums or energy healers. There, there are a lot of different ways that people can help process their grief because I think it can be really healing because it's like the relationship with the pet is not over. It can continue. You can have some type of relationship with the pet. I don't, I mean, I personally think it can, it, it is super powerful when you do tap into that, you know, spirit energy yeah. about spirit and, and you even using your pet as a spirit animal. Like what would Millie do in this situation? I, I ask her that. I ask her that. And I have to say when dealing with grief, it's, I think it can be hard to move through it in an integrated way if we're not open to, I always break it down to, there's more of what we don't know than what we do know. So even if we're on the fence about what life brings on the other side of what death brings, I suppose. Right. If you're a believer or a non-believer, I don't think that's really the point of what we're talking about. I think the point of what we're talking about is finding a way that you can memorial memorialize your pet. And continue the relationship. Yeah. Right? Rituals. I love to talk to my pet, and I listen for what. She well, has I mean, to I love me. like the fla the flowers too, right? The the mm -hmm. the fresh flowers can be a ritual as well. Mm -hmm. And even you know, I allow her to guide me in the sense of, you know, when I have tough questions in life, and again, looking for answers in unexpected ways. I allow myself to cry, and I tell her I'm sad. I look for feelings that that I might feel resistance to. So that's a, a good skill set in the sense of, oh, are, am I feeling sad? But is a part of me telling myself I shouldn't feel sad? I shouldn't feel sad anymore. I shouldn't feel that. I should be moving. Well, I also love that that Millie was your guide, your wise woman of in your dating and relationship life. And 
you know, even though she's not here with us now, I think just kind of when I made that comment about what Millie would do, I think even just integrating that, right, it was kind of like, well, what were the things that, you know, when your cat didn't like the person, it was like, what, well, what were the things about the person that, that were toxic or that weren't healthy for me? And kind of like, you know, thinking about that. And so when new people come into your life, like, oh, would Millie like this person? Absolutely. And what are the, what are the, what are the red flags that feel similar to, you know, what I was going through when Millie was alive and, and, and either did like people or didn't like people? Absolutely. You know, another thing to think about, I, I always had this perspective around Millie of when she had her NDE, she had a near death experience before, like a year before, you know, she got diagnosed with a tumor. And that's part of how I, I knew it was. I, I knew the the end was inevitably near. Is starting to understand that, you know, spiritually, I believe like we all come into life with a certain kind of purpose. Uh, what is it? A season, a reason or a lifetime. And I started to see that Millie had filled this one chapter of my life. And so there was also a letting go of that chapter and stepping into what was unknown. And, you know, I think one of the hangups can happen is we want to grieve the old. And yes, it is so acceptable to feel sad about what's no longer there. And also we want to allow in the new. We want to allow ourselves to experience something different. There is some relief, I feel, about not taking care of a pet when she was healthy. I had to travel a lot for work. Or when she was then in her last days, I was constantly stressed about what she going to die. And now I can go on trips without feeling that sense of responsibility. And I'm not rushing into anything new because I think it's important to, again, just be with all sides versus when we have the insecurely attached part of us, we can get very stuck in the negative about, oh, it should have been this way. This is what I'm missing. This is what I'm missing. This is what I'm missing. Or pretending it never even happened and then experiencing blowups at other areas of our lives. Yeah. And I love what you were saying was that you realized that, you know, there's a reason. There are lots of reasons why she came into your life. And also the closing that chapter and leaving an opening for something new to come up. And that you didn't go out immediately and, and get another cat and needing to kind of fill up that space where, because when we do lose a pet in our homes, we feel the loss. We actually feel the physical loss in the space. Oh, the, 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 the dog or cat or whatever animal used to sit on the sofa over there. There's, there's an energy shift in the space and that you didn't go out and try to recreate that because you were feeling uncomfortable about the shift in how it felt to be in your home without yeah. your pet. And so I know that, you know, a, a lot of people do run out and immediately get another pet. And so I'm just curious, like, what was that shift for you where, you know, you say running for somebody who runs anxious to not do that? The root of insecure attachment is really difficulty in experiencing emotions that are uncomfortable in essence, right? And it was 
a process of continuing to allow myself to be humble enough to experience the pain and to sit with it and be with it and befriend it and using, you know, I mean, obviously, you know, grief is one of the things I work in. So I had all these tools, like I created the rituals for her. I, I was lucky enough to have that last year with her. I consciously spent that time in a lot of gratitude and honing the relationship in a certain way that I could feel that deep connection with her, you know, even deeper than before. And by the way, I witnessed her, you know, I, I, at the end it was, it was, it was tricky. She, she died without medication. I had called a service to come to the home and, you know, she was experiencing symptoms before that. And I had to witness her die without any morphine and, and it was intense. And I, I definitely could have done without certain parts of the experience. I mean, it was rough in a certain way. And I just, I, I struggled with some guilt actually. Did I, did I, should I have put her down sooner? And so I used those moments to talk with her and ask her, what, what does she have to tell me? What did she have to say about that? I, I, I would tell her, I feel guilty about this. And just listening for that response helped me. Again, I allowed myself to cry and talk about it a lot with my friends. I did not shy away from that. I would not be precious about my experience. And it, it did help, right? It, it normalized it for myself and those around me. So right there, what Jacqueline was saying, I allowed myself to cry in front of my friends about it is so key to the process of grief because she allowed herself to emote, to be vulnerable and was accepted and held and supported by her friends. And I think that is such an integral piece of the process of grief. I've had some major losses in my life. And when people showed up for that, that just makes all the difference. So when, you know, you have three months to know whether your, your animal is going to live or if it's something that happens, that's just, that's a, a sudden loss of a pet. I think that not being alone in the grief is so instrumental to the healing. And you might have to ask for this, right? Because in the Western world, we have not done a good job ever since the rise of hospitalization, where it removed us from death. We haven't done a good job of dealing with it, right? So it does suck that you might have to ask for the help, but ask for it. Ask for support. And if you're out there and you're trying to support, please don't say things like, ah, she, she lived a good life or he lived a good life onwards or you can always get a new one. These things aren't helpful. Be curious about their experience. Tell stories about their pets. And we understand, yeah, and these things aren't helpful because the depth of connection that we have with our pets is just is in the words when we say, oh, it's my baby, or this is my child, or my fur baby, or my buddy, my best friend. So we have these descriptors of pets, and we, you know, we, we essentially humanize them because we are having a relationship with them, and it does feel like a human connection. There is this meme I saw recently about how somebody felt about their dog, and it was how I feel about my dog when it's a baby. And it's, oh, my baby, how I feel my, about my dog at middle age. Oh, my baby, how I feel about my dog when it's old. Oh, my baby. You know, they're always our little babies. And, you know, I, I don't have children. And in a way, my cat did fill some of that void, right? 
So we don't want to underestimate that. And we, when we say things like, oh, she lived a good life or, you know, cheer up or, you know, what can I do to make you feel better? It's from a place of good intent, but it is subtly dismissive, right? So we want to lean into and be curious about the experience. And if you're, you're in that position of experiencing that grief, do something in honor of your pet that day. That also helped me a lot. Like spend a little more time around her altar. I would play specific songs or talk to her a little more. And, and again, that discomfort is going to be difficult to tolerate, but you want to use the experience not to strengthen your insecure attachment. You want to use it to strengthen your secure attachment. And loss can trigger, again, that insecurely attached side of us. So oh, that's such a great point. And we also want to let people know who've lost pets that we like see you, we understand you, and we really want to remove the shame from feeling like, uh, you know, oh, it was just a pet. Because I think a lot of times people can feel guilty for feeling so strongly towards their pets, especially when people are minimizing their experiences. So we think it's really important to, yes, this is a member of your family. And I'll say for myself, I truly believe Millie left me when she was relieved that I no longer needed her in the same way, right? So I do believe, and I know this is getting out there for some of you, but if if we're all we're all interconnected beings, right? And if perhaps Mary, you and I knew each other in past lives, and and our pets also have a karmic destiny with us. If I allow myself to think outside the box of not just how I was taking care of her, but how she was taking mm. care of me, mm-hmm. and her time for that had come to the, an end, to do something different, that can also again open us up to there's more of what we don't know than what we do know. And in order to become more securely attached, we need to lean into a healthy relationship with what we don't know, as well as what we do know. I love that you said that because I'm just reflecting back on when I got my pets and I got them after a significant loss in my life. And I think that they, you know, they really helped me grieve through that loss, be there for me, accept me, accept me unconditionally, which is really what I needed in that moment. And so, you know, we recognize like the, the importance of having a pet and how devastating it is when, you know, you lose a pet. But I do love how Jacqueline says, you know, they come into your lives when you need them. And Again, if it's a prolonged loss of a pet, if you're witnessing your pet dying and helping your your pet move to the other side, or even something sudden, you know, I think it's like it, it's it, sometimes it can be less around like focusing on the sadness and the emptiness and the loss and really recreating or going back to not recreating, but going back to those memories or what are the what are the amazing moments in my life that I experienced with my pet? If you find yourself constantly or, let's say, consistently ruminating on the moments of death, that is a sign that there's like part of that trauma needs to be processed because a sign of a healthy experience with our companions who are now on the other side in whatever form they might be in 
is that we're able to integrate the full relationship. So if you're struggling just with like this did happen to me at the beginning when Millie died because, you know, she had what looked like a seizure and then and she was crying out in pain and I'm just like giving birth, but the opposite direction, you know, and I felt so powerless over being able to help her. She couldn't speak to me. And actually, right before she died, I had had a conversation with her about how it was OK if she like relieved herself in my arms. You know, she didn't want to be touched and she she let me hold her and then she had this just horrific seizure and woof, it was intense. So at the beginning, because the experience of the loss was like kind of grotesque in certain ways and, and difficult, I struggled with, right, I was ruminating on that sense of guilt, which was a sign to me that there was more that needed to be processed there. And so things like EMDR actually can be helpful in therapy around that. It can help that side soften so that you're able to accept the full relationship. Yeah, I think just like what you're saying, like we can get kind of stuck in that rigidity of feeling the guilt. And and I love how you were talking about, again, you know, we both believe we, we we're both trauma therapists. We both believe in, you know, that we do have a lot of unprocessed trauma and it can manifest in different ways. And maybe one of the ways is, you know, holding on to the guilt of the lost pet as opposed to, you know, what we say when we're talking about anxious attachers, you know, what is it like instead of focusing on, you know, what you don't have anymore, you know, what is it like to, to lean into the joy of what you experience being a pet owner? Guilt is the lack of acceptance of what is, right? It's making the situation into something it isn't. It is not accepting the full reality of what happened, right? It, I'm placing a certain angle on it that in essence didn't really exist. And by the way, when I asked my cat about that, I told her <laughs> I felt really guilty about what I had done. She was like, what are you talking about? I don't even care. I feel free, you know. And, and I know when I think about her little body and the tumor, it was growing so big. God, she was, you know, she was so, I had to carry her to the litter box in the end. She yeah. was so uncomfortable. Yeah. And still I have to remind myself of that, right? It can come up. And so, again... We want to use those moments, like if the guilt comes up, if you notice a sense of rigidity in your brain, like the cycle starting again and again and again of unable to get over the loss per se, or the specific part of the loss or the death, that's a sign that your brain is experiencing a sense of disorganization. So we want to bring you back to flexibility of what the whole experience is, of what, again, what we might not know that could be even better. And and as even as Jacqueline was like talking about carrying her little kitty to the litter box, which I actually which I witnessed, and you know another thing that she doesn't notice, and and just her talking about it right now is like, you know, zooming out and witnessing yourself doing those things and being like, wow, what an amazing caretaker! How much compassion she had for this little kitty cat, and you know. I'm not seeing like when I when I'm watching that, I'm not sensing rigidity in I'm about to lose this cat. I feel so guilty. I'm not doing enough. What I'm seeing is so much flexibility and love in the way that she's caring for this cat. Another thing you can do is look back on your kitty or puppy or birdie or turtle is is uh, looking back at the relationship of where you where you can grow 
as well as where you did well, as well as what can your life open up to now while maintaining that connection, that beautiful, loving connection to that wonderful path. And again, honoring what they have given you. What else is there? What, what, is, what is beneath the, the part of us that pushes away? The more that you're able to lean into that discomfort, the light shines on it and the relationship can transform. And I love that idea about that fact that the relationship can transform after we've lost a pet. And let's just, you know, quite frankly, after we maybe we've lost somebody who's been really close to us in our lives. I was listening to the Dear Chelsea podcast the other day, and she was talking about the loss of her mother and how her relationship with her mother has transformed after her mom has passed away and that she feels like she's closer to her mother now than she was when her mother was alive. And I think that can be true for a lot of different kinds of relationships. I know that my own father passed away almost 10 years ago, and he's in my thoughts daily. And sometimes I speak to him and I ask for his advice. And I think that, you know, with pets and what Jacqueline was talking about with her cat was that her cat has was with her for, you know, 15, 16 years and has seen her through a lot of different transitions and transformations throughout her life. And I think that's the thing is like pets can be our silent witnesses. So if you have any questions about grief, loss, attachment, definitely DM me in my Instagram at Mary B Therapy or come visit me on my website, MaryBTherapy.com. And thanks for listening.